Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Writers Toolshed. It's Richie back today with JM. Hey, hey. Recording this on a, uh, a very romantic Valentine's Day. I've just been eating some chocolates. JM, what romantic plans have you got in store for today? Plans? Now, nothing much. Probably would do something. I normally would do go to a restaurant or something, but everything's off limits at the moment. So <laughs> probably cook you, something uh, at home. You gonna, yeah, you're going to do a nice little meal then? Yeah, that's probably the best option at this point. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Because there's literally nothing else to do. But um, we're not letting it stop us though, are we, JM? This lockdown, because we, we, we've got the ability to take it online. And I think that's what we're going to do, isn't it, next week? Yeah, so um, n- next week, my book is coming out, Call of the Guardian. So the pre-order is already locked in. It releases on uh, 16 February. Uh, that's American time, I think. I think Eastern time. And uh, to kind of celebrate the event, I'm going to be hosting a Facebook live stream on 20 February. So that's Saturday at uh, 12 o'clock Greenwich Mean Time, uh, 9 p.m. Korea time, and 7 a.m. Eastern time. So I'm tr- I try to schedule it to get accommodate most people in my audience because I live in Korea. I got folks in the UK who read me and folks in, in the United States who read me. Um, but the details are on our of Metal and Magic Facebook page. And that event is just going to be uh, basically a virtual book reading. So think about if you've ever gone to a book reading event at a bookstore or a library or something, I'll start by reading a passage from the book and talking about the book and talking about OMAM and then open up the floor for questions and thinking that maybe if I get some really good questions, I might hand out free copy of the book to somebody so there's an incentive for you to join i'll be there yeah i don't think you're getting a free book it's not fair so in our last episode we looked at weapons and armor and in this episode we're going to look at how to use them and particularly we're going to look at fight fight scenes we're going to look at battles bigger scale fight scenes and we're going to look at the psychological impacts of them sort of instance in your stories. So let's just uh, dive right in. The last full episode we did, we called it the combat deep dive part one. And we talked about uh, weapons and armor and forging and things like that. And we're just going to follow on that topic and ta- and describe actually writing writing the fight scenes, writing the big battles and and how it all comes together. And I think uh, Richie and I bring some different back, you know, our different backgrounds to the table in this topic. He's done a lot more big battles than me. Um, I've done, I, I kind of, my forte I think is, is writing small scale intimate fight scenes. But last time we talked about weapons and armor, and as we move into the topic of writing fight scenes, it's, it's important to remember um, how those weapons and armor, how they're used, right? So we talked last time about bows and things like crossbows and that you can't rapidly fire a, stand, a, a regular crossbow. It takes a lot of time. And I find that a lot of new writers, um, when they're writing fight scenes, have a more kind of Hollywood or video gamey experience that they're relying on when they're writing fight scenes. So it just goes back to doing your research and understanding how, you know, how are daggers used? They're stabbing weapons, they're not slashing weapons. You know, how are, you know, rapiers used and bows and things like that? And what does different suits of armor, uh, how do those function in combat? Leather armor is more about deflecting a blow than it is about absorbing a blow. Um, if somebody with a big sword stabs at you and you're wearing leather armor, that sword might probably go through your armor. 
Um, but if he comes at it with a glancing blow, it's going to deflect. Um, so those are some important kind of key points to think about as you're plotting out your fight. So you've got a fight between a couple characters and you're thinking about how it's going to go. Think about what weapons they're using, what armor they're wearing, um, and how that fight between, oh, and whether or not they're trained in those weapons or armor probably has an important point. If they're trained, then they're going to use them correctly. If they're not trained, then they might make mistakes. And understanding how those mechanics work as you plot out the design of your fight, and then you get into the actual writing of it and the prose. And I think Richie has uh, some basic rules that he follows when writing a fight scene. Yeah, and these rules all came from Brandon Sanderson. So he's fair to say he's got a fair bit of experience writing fight scenes. So I think these could be applied to, to any scale of fight scene. So from one-on-one combat to mass armies bludgeoning each other to death. So the first one is that blow-by-blow blow is generally boring. So what this means, um, yeah, what this means, sorry, is that um, if you're describing the fight, every single movement, every single action, he swung left, he swung right, he deflected, he parried, he shuffled to the right. After a while, it just gets really boring to, to read. Um, so to combat that, you, you sort of... You want to just go for the, sort of the highlights, and um, it's not really the highlights, just not consistent. Like, what do you think, JM? Do you, do you follow this one? So, uh, I'll, I'll get into this a little bit later, but yeah, I generally agree that blow, blow by blow detail is not a good thing, it is distracting. Um, it does serve a purpose, and we'll get into that later, but generally speaking. You need to know, it, it's a fine art. You need to know what details are necessary and what aren't necessary. And don't forget that in addition to the action, you know, emotion, thoughts, environment is also important. So don't lose, don't lose the character in, in the intricate action description. Yeah, I think the biggest issue with blow-by-blow blow descriptions are that the battle scenes are fast, frantic, tense um, passages. So to have descriptions detailing every single movement just slows the pace down and really sort of frustrates you and prevents the story from progressing at a nice quick rate. So I think that's the big problem there. Um, the second... Um, sort of rule I tend to follow is that clarity reigns supreme. So by that you mean it's ridiculous having uh, big battles if it's impossible for your readers to follow what's going on. So to achieve clarity, just use simple language. Just map your battles out. If, you've, if you're doing big armies, um, so in like Pariah's Lemons, I've got two sieges back to back um, there's quite a lot of logistics involved in that at the end. Um, but yeah, I had to map it out. I had to work out where the, the weak points are in the walls, which, which gates are going to be weaker after the first attack. What impact is that going to have on the second siege? Um, how siege towers and um, artillery are going to impact the, the war and the sort of organization of the battle everything like that has a, a massive impact and if you're not clear about the impact of everything in the story then you read is not going to be able to make any sense of it either that that so, being said you probably didn't go into intricate detail about the guys carting the fodder around the battlefield yeah no i didn't include that no but um Maybe, think... maybe maybe a maybe a niche subgenre, battle <laughs> yeah. fantasy. Yeah, the people who go off. I I have read a few good stories about that. Like when you're going through battlefields after after the battle, and there's people having to go through and like recover weapons and armor and 
brutal brutal yeah why would you make let that stuff go to waste yeah. um what what is uh what's rule number three rule number three is show instead of tell or try to show instead of tell to it's a something that comes up quite often and i think it's particularly uh worth bearing in mind when it comes to this um writing fight scenes because they are very visible um sort of things like you wanna you want your reader to be able to immerse themselves in what's happening and if you're just telling them what's happening it's a bit dull to be honest um so like saying things like our character felt um, tired after swinging a sword over and over. It's like, well, show, show him feeling tired. Like, how, how is he? If he's got a big suit of armor on, is he sweating? Um, it's just like overheating kind of thing. So, yeah, it's um, that's a big, it's a big one. I think when you, you to to make these scenes grand and, and capturing, then you've got to to show and immerse the reader everything that's happening especially like when it comes to like sound sense um sensations and yeah, everything like that yeah yeah show show don't tell is obviously a, a kind of a cornerstone rule or guideline of writing but i agree i think it it has a tendency to come up a lot more in these action scenes when it's when it's not warranted like you said, like their character felt tired. Like that's easy to show in the middle of an action scene. They fall to their knees. They lose the grip, their grip on their weapon. Um, they're sweating. There's a lot of ways you can show that. And I think the way, the reason why I'm imagining the reason why Sanderson reiterates show don't tell in fight scenes is because there is a, there is a habit to tell more than, than is necessary um, rather than showing. So just something to keep in mind. It's a ba it's a basic guideline, but it's a lot more relevant in writing these fight scenes because they should be more show oriented than other parts of your book. So those, those that's a good uh, framework, I think, um, for setting up this discussion. And then we'll we'll move on now to um, some more specifics on actually writing and building your scenes. Um, I have a lot more experience with small scale fight scenes as opposed to big battles. Um, so uh, a couple of things to keep in mind when you're writing these small scale intimate fight scenes is um, mood. And for example, uh, using tension effectively. So Fight scenes are generally uh, fast-paced. They go really quick, but you you don't want everything to be fast and it to be over before your reader can realize realize what happened. So one yeah. one thing that you can do is you can start by building tension before the fight actually starts. Um, this could be uh, if it's like an ambush scene where your heroes are getting ambushed by the bad guys. It could be developing that mood and that that tension before the first blow happens where they're looking around and they're sensing something's wrong and they're you know you show them feeling unnerved and uncomfortable and then bam you know an arrow or an attack or something um yeah there's also ways you can build tension in the fight by you see you see it in Hollywood movies all the time where the heroes are in their fist fight at the end of the movie and then they break apart and they're just kind of like looking at each other and panting and and you know giving time to recover that's that's not for the characters and for the story that's for the audience that's giving the audience a chance to breathe it's not particularly realistic people don't just stop fighting in the middle of a fight but it gives the audience a, a, a chance to breathe to uh, digest what they've what they've witnessed so far yeah. and then to kind of set the stakes for the future. So those are things that you want to keep in mind as you're, you know, building your broad plan for your fight scene. And then when you get down to the fine details of 
writing the fight scene line by line, then you need to pay attention to pacing and flow. Yeah. So the way that one of the ways that you do pacing in your prose is sentence length and sentence structure. Yeah. If you have a lot of uh, short, choppy sentences, that's going to pace very quickly. And if you have a lot of complex run-on sentences with commas and conjunctions, that's going to slow the reader down. The more complex the sentence, the, the longer it takes the reader to read, the slower the pacing of the story. Yeah. So that's something to keep in mind. And this is something where I find actually um, Hollywood kind of helps me. You know, how, thinking, thinking through like a Hollywood action scene in a, in a fantasy movie um, and visualizing it kind of helps me understand the pacing of the scene and then you write accordingly. And this goes back to what Sanderson was saying with the um, the play-by-play -play and avoid the play-by-play. -play. Yeah. You don't necessarily always want to avoid the play-by-play. -play. There's one there's one very good use of the in the intricate action by action description and that's basically your Hollywood slow-mo. So if you have a, a part of your fight scene that you really want to focus in on and you really want to slow it down that's where you that's where you do the play-by-play -play. so maybe um your hero is caught unaware and there's an arrow coming for them and we don't know if it's going to hit the hero and kill the hero at that point if you start describing every single little action so the arrow is coming through the air uh he's swinging his sword he turns around, he sees it by, by then using a play-by-play, -play, you are essentially creating a slow-mo scene as that arrow is approaching. Cause it's going to take your reader a long time to read through all that. And they're noticing every fine detail, which is what a, a slow-mo does is it gives you fine detail. Um, yeah. so there is a use for it. And in that way, um, you can craft the speed of your fight scene by using your sentences. So longer complex sentences to slow the scene down, shorter sentences to speed it up, um, play by play to, to do a kind of a slow-mo portion of it. Um, and that's one thing that really good, really good action scene writers understand is how yeah. sentence, sentence structure affects the speed of the scene. Yeah. And something that I'd like to add to that as well is being specific with your writing as well so name locations name individuals name weapons and um, this just enhances the scene and especially if if the the terms are familiar with the to the reader already then it's easy for them to follow and visualize everything that's going on and um something else which i think is very important is avoiding the passive voice it's like when you write an action, you want things to be immediate and active voices just work so much better. So, um, and regarding, regarding your point on clarity. Um, yeah, clarity is absolutely important and, and efficiency because as you mentioned, um, you want the fight scene to be fast, which requires short, concise sentences. So you need to make sure that each word in those sentences is clear and unambiguous and is conveying the meaning it needs to convey because you don't have a lot of words there for your reader to understand what's going on. If you're using, if you're using short choppy sentences to do a, a quick fight scene, then yeah. who you're talking about needs to be very clear and the movements that they're making need, need to be clear. Um, yeah. Nice. Any other, any other thoughts on, um, the small, intimate one-on-one -on -one fight scenes, Richie. I think with the smaller ones, the intimate ones, the um, you can get into the character's head a bit more. So there can be sort of brief flashes of introspective thought. I think it, while the fight's still going on, say if they're circling each other, for example, and they're tired, then there's no reason why you can't dip in and out of, of thoughts and stuff like that um that's also a very effective pacing tool as well 
Um, yeah. If you don't want to do the Hollywood, they break apart. It could be that, you know, I'm blocking a, a sword that's coming at my head. And then in that section, we get some introspection and that slows the scene down from the reader without actually interrupting the fight. We kind of we're pulled out of the fight to build some tension, to give the reader some time to process it, and also to, to build some suspense about what's going to happen. You know, is he going to survive? So yeah, it's a very good pacing tool to use introspection in, a, in a, a a smaller fight scene as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think something that I I do think does get taken for granted a bit when writing, uh, sorry, reading uh, fight scenes. Is that these are struggles between life and death? Like if you if you're gonna lose this fight, you're gonna die, and sometimes when people are in these situations, it doesn't really hit home. But then when it does, like things change. So the, the person's attitude and within a battle can change if the sort of confidence goes, the resolve goes, fatigue overcomes them. They could all the confidence could all of a sudden go. Uh, these are little things that you can explore in, in especially in intimate battle scenes the ebbs and flows of of dueling um people get on the back foot then so all of a sudden switched around and you can use that to your advantage especially when you're trying to not make the outcome predictable and on the flip side of fatigue and des- fatigue and exhaustion um desperation can be powerful yeah. as well so like people, when they think it's do or die, they can do incredible things. Yeah, and also incredibly horrible things when it when it comes to fighting, struggling that for your life. Well. If you, I mean, I always remember the duel Game of Thrones between the Mountain and Prince of Dawn. <laughs> that was a horrific way to end the fight, wasn't it? Do you ever have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's well, a that's no a move. Spoilers. Well, no spoilers, no. But that that is what happens. That that kind of level of brutality when you're struggling for your life. I mean, you, if you, you do if anything to survive, if you're bent on killing the guy, I mean, eyes are just eyes. Like it's a means yeah. to the end. Yeah. If it was like yeah. a WWE wrestling match, then we can get we can be like, come on, get in there, ref. But uh, a, a duel to the death is like there's no rules yeah exactly um so moving on so like i said i got more experience with these small scale fight scenes i don't have as much with the larger battles. so moving on what do you think uh about the best way techniques for writing larger battles sieges and things like that i love big battles I, I don't know what it is. I think it's a lot of the fantasy stories that I've read and really loved. I've always had big battle scenes in. Always big battle scenes towards the end. Like, it's got a sort of... The, the sort of... Uh, the outcome's always decided by a big battle. And I kind of read the story now expecting the big battle at the end. I, I would always be disappointed if there wasn't a big battle. So... Some some of my favourite battles from fantasy, Helm's Deep, Minas Tirith, Lord of the Rings. Um, I love the battle scenes in Game of Thrones. Absolutely sensational, and especially when you come to the the visuals in the series in the Battle of the Bastards, for example, where the bodies piling up. That is something that does not get featured enough in fantasy like it's not like a computer game where their bodies just disappear into the ground these bodies pile up and especially in sieges um, which is something that we think we're going to talk about in a, a little bit more detail because sieges are types of scenes that types of battles that feature an awful lot in fantasy so I mentioned two there, Helm's Deep, Minas Tirith, both sieges. And I don't know. There's... I don't know if I would call I don't know if I would call Helm's Deep a siege. Because pretty much at least it's been a long time since I read the book, but 
in the the way the film portrays it is the moment the orc army arrives they attack and they're like within the walls on the day like sieges are days weeks months of just cutting off supply lines and things like that i don't know if necessarily. like the sieges i have in Paraisla event lasted two days it's just as long however long the defenders can hold out for and if as an attacker you want a quick siege but it doesn't always go like that way and then that's when you start using tactics like starving them and whatnot but yeah um so when it comes to to battles especially battles involving sieges it's so so important to understand um what can influence the outcome of a battle and to learn these things it's it's really helpful to look back at history so i do love history love studying medieval history world wars fascinating all of them like how brutally horrible humanity can be but um it's amazing how ingenious people become when it comes to working out how to kill other people um so battle tactics are a big one um i recently found myself reading a lot of um historical fiction to do with the greek persian wars and the ancient Greeks had a battle formation called the Phalanx. Are you familiar with that? Yep. Yeah, so it would basically be like deep rows of spearmen, really long spears, shields, um, and you, it would just be like a massive hedgehog, but like you couldn't really get near it because of the length of the spears. Um, everyone was close-knit, so there was like a, a strong shield wall. And you'd have people at your back as well, helping you out and swapping in and out if needs be. Um, and th- this was a really effective battle formation, particularly against cavalry as well. Like spears, spears against cavalry is, is um, something that can be really effective counteracting like so. Yeah, it's really important to understand how these different things can impact and like, what the weaknesses are, what the strengths are. How can an army defeat, um, say, an army of archers, for example, or an army of horsemen? <clears throat> and um, how terrain, the likes of terrain, can impact things. So, yeah. What are your thoughts, Joe? I've been learning a lot about um, the history of the, the Mongols and the, the steppe barbarian, to quote unquote barbarians to step tribes um, over the over the ages. And uh, one thing that really stuck with me was so the step horsemen had uh, compound recurve bows, which allowed them to shoot arrows from uh, their from horseback. And this basically made them for centuries the most powerful unit on the battlefield. Like there was very little that anyone could do because these guys are right up shoot an arrow and right away and you couldn't get you couldn't catch them and you'd just be slaughtered um one of the lectures that i was listening to talked about how the chinese came up with a a war strategy to confront these and basically they had uh, a main force in the front that kind of drew the horsemen forward to attack and then they they'd attack from the flanks with more maneuverable light infantry and basically surround the horsemen so they couldn't run away. And they take a lot of casualties, but they'd eventually pen in the 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 horse archers and and kind of pick them off one by one. So it was very interesting that um, there's this kind of arms race of strategy that goes on in history of you've got new innovative attack strategies and then counter to that you'll get new defensive strategies to counter those attacks um so yeah being well versed in history is very is very useful for understanding strategy i even employed that that tactic against horse horse into against cavalry in my current work in progress the fierce which is based all a lot on um um step tribe history and culture yeah I think like battle tactics as well, 
strategies. The Romans, you can't go wrong with the Romans because they were well ahead of the time, especially when it comes to battle tactics. Uh, this, the structure of the um, formations that they used as well, uh, it was like sort of staggered units. So uh, there'd be spaces in between each one rather than like a solid line. And this would allow um, sort of units further back to sort of move forward and like sort of uh, plunge into the line and break break the line as well so they had all different sorts of types of ranks as well so definitely worth looking into Roman battle tactics if you're looking for sort of innovative and unusual ways of of defeating armies so the actual so my my thoughts on the actual like prose writing of big battles and kind of here's my perspective and my way of getting at it but this is also based on the fact that I am a you know I have more experience writing small, small scale fight scenes, more intimate fight scenes. But I think when you're writing a big scale battle, you need to limit the number of characters that you're focusing on. Um, so, for example, Call of the Guardian ends with a battle scene. Um, there's a, a lot of people on the battlefield. Um, but only about three of the characters are named characters and focal points. And then there's just a lot of men and women running around the battlefield fighting. And I think that kind of carries with how you watch, how you see a fantasy battle on screen is there's a lot of moving bodies, but there's only a few of the main characters that you're focused on and whose actions you care about. So one way to make a, a battle intelligible is to limit the number of characters you're dealing with. And then if you've got a wide cast of characters, so something like Helm's Deep, where you've got a lot going on, then you're probably, I would imagine, going to approach that at, uh, with scene breaks as you're jumping from group of characters to group of characters. So you have a scene in that, a scene within the, the larger battle where you've got one group of characters doing their part of the fight and then you break and then you move to another scene and you show what another group of characters are doing and so you're kind of small scaling the larger battle um that's how i would approach it how do you approach um the actual text of writing a battle yeah it's it's tricky because especially large scale battles with like thousands and thousands of people and how are you gonna reveal what is happening from one person's perspective especially if you think this person's got a helmet on their vision is very limited so how are they going to see what's happening on the far eastern side of the battle so one thing i love to do is just to, to introduce perspectives i know you mentioned um like characters there um limiting the amount of characters it helps to sort of be selective in the perspectives that you choose so if you've got two characters that are fighting side by side it doesn't really make sense to dip in and out of each of their perspectives because they're fighting they're having the same experience so to reveal more about what's happening in, in other parts of the battles why can't you introduce a character um who's fighting on the flank for example and they've got a completely different experience perhaps they've got to deal with a cavalry charge surprise cavalry charge completely different to what's happening in the middle so um perspectives i i think is a, a variety of unique perspectives is a great way to um show a battle developing and if you can show like things going wrong in one part and that has a knock-on effect on everybody else and it creates conflict and builds the suspense which is exactly what you want from a battle and it, it, by um, by breaking between perspectives and 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 lo locales, really, um, it also allows you to to create tension and um, suspense. So, uh, if something really bad happens to one of your characters, they're they're knocked down. It seems like they might get killed, and then you cut away, like you build suspense that yeah. way, right? That's a great uh, great technique to use. Um. And then the, another another important question to ask yourself when you're when you have these big battles too 
is is the battle itself important is that the critical point or is what the characters are doing more important so um if the battle is kind of the backdrop of something else then you can get away with not having to describe as much and then um kind of coming back to the and 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 seeing the aftermath of what has happened and then that that kind of conveys what the battle was so for example in valley in in the valley of magic one of my stories one of my books um there's a big fight throughout the city at the end of the book but i fixate on just only two characters who are chasing basically chasing down the villain through the streets so there's stuff happening around them that they see um but basically you don't you don't actually witness the bulk of the battle in the in the city you just witness the chase and then they they get spoiler alert they they get the bad guy um and then you pick up finer details from that point about other things that have happened as they're the kind of recovering from the fight so one 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 question you want to ask yourself also, also as well as do you do you is the battle the important part or is something else the important part um and that might help you understand how how best to write it as well so we've covered quite a bit there and it's not comprehensive by any means and um, what i do have which you may find useful are some more detailed guides on battle tactics particularly looking at specific types of defensive fortifications um, a detailed guide on sieges um, and i've also got a detailed guide on our own page um, on how to write fight scenes it just goes over the three points that we covered earlier on and um, before we finish we wanted to talk about something that is really important if you're writing characters of driven stories and that is the impact of warfare and of fighting and killing and um, because people don't just stab someone and just walk away as if nothing ever happened unless the sort of socio sociopaths <laughs> de demented individuals and um, these actions have massive massive psychological consequences um, on a moral level and sort of um, an ethical level and a philosophical level as well so um that's what we want to talk about isn't it jm yeah um i think it's something that gets overlooked a lot in writing um you just kind of have a, your band of heroes and they go from fight to fight and they're they're never really affected by it they're just like that's what we do we're heroes and we swing swords and that will be but that's not how it works there's there's personal and and i think you 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 hit the the nail on the head when you talked about character driven stories well most fantasy is character driven at least today so if you're concerned about conveying your character you probably need to understand and think about and and describe how all this fighting is affecting your characters and so the first thing is is trauma so trauma can be a very useful character development tool um, in your writing and it doesn't have to be just strictly based on warfare um, any sort of trauma builds uh, compelling points to your character's background it creates weaknesses in their character um, things like that so for example in call of the guardian the main character right at the beginning of the story you learn that the main character um, his mother died in a fire and he barely escaped alive and he's got terrible pyrophobia in a world full of dragons and fire everywhere um, so it that, that creates a compelling uh, it makes him real makes him human and flawed and it also gives gives me a great weakness that I can exploit throughout the story yeah. um, same thing with the effects of fighting so somebody who's never you know these coming of age young adult fantasy tales where someone's just lived this quiet life and never been in a fight before and then kills somebody is going to be problematic now keep in mind killing someone 
in a medieval setting and someone dying in a medieval medieval setting is going to have a lot less impact than it does in a modern setting. Like we are so, um, we, we don't see death around us the way that someone in a medieval setting would people just dying from disease, from bad food, from dying in childbirth. Um, in a medieval setting, death happens a lot, but there's still the morality of killing, you know, killing someone yourself. And the other thing that to, to think about is when you're thinking about trauma, so putting it into perspective and putting it into the setting. So um, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is a thing, and it can come out come about of all sorts of different trauma. So people, um, rape victims get PTSD. Uh, military veterans get PTSD, but the the effects that that manifests in the character is going to be different depending on the context. So a a modern military veteran with PTSD oftentimes will have um, hypersensitivity. Why do they, they? They're always looking around. They're always scanning their environment. They're always nervous that something's going to happen. Why are they like that? Well, because they came from a battlefield where just walking down the street, there could be a bomb hidden on the road and they get blown up and they've got to look for it. They've spent, a, they've spent six months or a year. Everywhere they go, they have to be looking for bombs. That doesn't exist in a medieval setting. So a, a medieval veteran with PTSD is not going to have hypersensitivity. They're going to have other, other conditions, other manifestations of their trauma. Um, it might be, um, you know, hyper guilt where they just start breaking down crying because they're like, oh, I killed all these people and it finally hits them. Um, they might have, you know, nightmares of that battle where there was a sword blade two inches from their eye and they could have died. Um, but they're not going to have hypersensitivity walking down the street looking for bombs and, and people to jump out at them because that's not the environment that their trauma developed in. So it's important to understand that the trauma that your characters face has to be related to the events that trigger the trauma. And um, yeah, any thoughts on that, Richie? Psych it's PTSD, any kind of psychiatric um, it, issues that sort of develop from these traumatic incidents like depression, anxiety, um, panic attacks. They do. They are very debilitating. Um, and I think if you've never experienced anything like that, you don't really appreciate how debilitating they actually are. It's become more uh, openly discussed now, depression and things like that. Everyone goes through it. It's, it's the, the mental wounds that for some of us, they're sort of harder to, um, to overcome than others. And loads of people I know have had depression. I mean, I've had depression in the past. Um, it's it's a really common thing. And um, people, our characters are just like, they're just people like anybody else and they go through these things. And especially if the, if you, if you imagine how stressed you get in your job, for example, imagine being a soldier having to, to um, fight off a big, uh, within a siege, fight off a big army in a siege for days and days and weeks. Um, all these little things have massive impacts psychologically. And um, it's as to make these story, our stories more compelling and interesting and believable, our characters need to experience these things. And for us as writers, we need to explore them as, as issues as well. Um, to help people, help readers. They might be looking for answers and ways to overcome these things as well. And that's how we can help them. There's, a, there's also a, a human, in, you, can, you can inject kind of a human interest aspect into the story and also make it relevant to modern readers. So for example, like a siege survivor might witness a young child who got poisoned or, or who starved to death or something like that. And that's what that, that character carries with them. And that definitely resonates with the modern audience and the idea of like civilians on the battlefield and all this kind of thing. So you can, you can keep it contemporary to that setting, but also 
have some modern kind of moral sense to it and also make it this kind of human interest angle that the the trauma is related to you know human suffering and things like that another um writing call the guardian another thing that i kind of thought about was um so different cultures deal with death in a different in different ways and that's something i kind of toyed with in my recent novel so the main characters come from a village that has a certain way of dealing with death and then they go to another place and they fight in a battle and in the aftermath of that battle they're they witness a different custom and it's kind of jarring for them but at the same point they kind of they join in the the new custom and then they find it uh helps them get through what they they dealt with and um so it's, another thing to think about is not every culture deals with death the same way some cultures get sad some cultures get angry um some cultures uh valorize the, the fallen and and the warriors yeah and kind of the last thing that i wanted to mention was the larger scale so so we've talked kind of about the impacts on the individual character but also warfare and combat and sieges have lasting economic and social impacts so if you have if you're building a some sort of a a long scale epic story then you've got to keep in mind that all these all these little battles that you're fighting are going to have lasting impacts and it's also if you are not writing a long epic series this is a way to build in backstory into your whatever your little novel is you can build in backstory and and impacts by referring to past wars and and the effects of the past wars and how that suffering and hardship influenced people and changed their way of thinking and changed culture and things like that yeah it's really good points <coughs> uh, wars are expensive armies are expensive um Imagine all the food to, to keep an, an army of so ten thousand people fully fed and fit. Um, it's a massive expense, and they, that's they, why there was throughout time, kings and, and queens have come under terrible uh, scrutiny from the the people because of the massive increase in taxes, which were always used to pay for wars. Well, and a lot of times they weren't paid. By taxes they they were the army shows up at your farm and takes all your pegs and doesn't even give you a receipt and but too bad yeah you can't really do anything about it can you and then yes yeah, so there's money impacts and there's also um like conscription was a real thing in the yeah. past so you're husband or brother or whoever might just be grabbed one day and said hey you're in the army now and he dies and that's going to have a lasting impact on that family and potentially if a character spins off of that family that they're going to remember that yeah any uh parting thoughts on the topic richie i would think with battle scenes do research um keep them simple above all make sure the reader can follow what's happening that's a big big concern um i was only recently chatting to a book reviewer um he was saying how, how um what difficulty she has in following battle scenes so that's for book reviewers i regard as a professional reader someone who just devotes all the time to reading they read more books than anybody else i would know so if they're seeing these problems come up quite often then it's something that we need as writers to pay attention to so uh, i think that pretty much um covers everything that we, we were going to talk about today um uh, like i mentioned earlier there are more links for you to explore if you wanted to learn a bit more about these subjects and also just read as much history um watch youtube videos anything you can at all just um 
learn as much as you can and it'll just empower your writing. A few little reminders. Uh, don't forget JM's book, Call of the Guardian, is out on the 16th of Feb. And on the 20th of Feb, we've got uh, the big launch and that's going to be happening. Uh, we'll put the times in the in description as well. So come down, join us. It'd be great to um, have a chat about the book. You never know, you might even get a free copy. So, um, yeah, so the, be... the, uh, we're doing it on Facebook Live, so you'll be able to post your questions in the comics, comments thread real time. And I will pick one or two of the best questions and those people will get a free copy of the book. Um, so behoove you to join us for, it's just going to be an hour. Just join us for, join me for an hour for a book reading, a Q and a, and get a chance to get a book. It's going to be fun. So thanks very much for listening today, everybody. It's, um, it's been really enjoyable looking at fantasy weapons um armor and how to use them in battles probably one of the most exciting parts of writing fantasy to be totally honest so we've hoped you uh, we sincerely hope you found it useful uh, if you have please subscribe please follow us please share our episodes with your friends leave us a leave us a question or a comment on facebook or whatever platform and uh we'll respond to your questions if if it's uh something we know about yeah most definitely and something we'd also be very grateful is if you just left a review on itunes or any other platforms about what you think about the the show and that helps us massively and that gives us uh that's that's your way of giving back to us and supporting us so that's uh really helpful so um yeah we'll be back in in a few weeks time with another, another episode but yeah until then thanks very much for listening see you next time